0: Wow. It is so early. I've got so much time to preach a really, really long message. You guys are so blessed today. Yeah. yeah. Ah, thank you, God. <sighs> Praise God. Um let's pray. Father, open our hearts to your word today. Planted in us, changes by it, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 The history of the church is uh, a history of praying people. Last week, Pastor Mel uh, preached a message on uh, uh, if any among you is afflicted or suffering, let him, let her pray. And how natural a thing that is for us. And I've heard, maybe you've heard this saying before, they say there are no, uh, what is it? There are no non-praying people on um, on planes that are going down. Uh, on a crashing plane, everybody's a praying person. Now, I've heard that some atheists are offended by that uh, statement because no, no, they... they Yeah, yeah, oh my God. Uh, That people all around the world uh, pray. They lift up, even if it's, I did this before I was a believer, uh, would throw up a Hail Mary, uh, actually that's a bad choice, uh, I wasn't Catholic. I would throw. I was thinking of a Hail Mary pass where they would throw the ball way downfield in just the, the slim chance that somebody will catch it and they'll score. I threw up a pass when my girlfriend and I broke up a couple of years out of high school. And it's like, I have to have her back, God. And I threw up a Hail Mary pass. Thank you, Jesus. He didn't answer. Um, he knows... What we need more than than we know. Has anybody else ever prayed a prayer like that? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you liars! I know there have been some of those kind of prayers that later you're very glad that God didn't answer your prayer, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, many, many times. Um, just like you were throwing up a prayer a few minutes ago that I hope he's joking about preaching long. Um, the, it's not. So, the history of the church is a history of prayer, a history of praying people. It's not surprising that Jesus, in um, uh, Mark chapter 11, when he arrives back at Jerusalem a week before he's crucified, and he comes into uh, Jerusalem to the praise of all these people who are hailing him as the Messiah, uh, King, uh, Savior. Um, He comes in, he comes into the temple. He sees how they have distorted the purposes of God in the temple. He overturns the tables and he drives out the, you know, he lets the doves go free. He he, uh, drives these, it says, oxen, you know, that they're selling for sacrifice. He gets rid of them. He does all of this. And he quotes Isaiah 56, 7, where it says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you, you've perverted it. You've made it a robber's den. You're gouging people and you're doing things that were never God's intended purpose for what was supposed to go on in the temple. You've not only made it a place of merchandise, but you're ripping people off. They were gouging. Uh, So he does that and he quotes this. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Well, That's from Isaiah 56. That was a prophecy. that That's what God was saying about his temple in Jerusalem. That's what he was saying really about his people. His house, which is what Ephesians 2 says he's building. A house where God can dwell by his spirit is to be a house of prayer. Of constant interaction with the living God. As I told you a few weeks ago, one writer recently who wrote a book on prayer in the last few years, he was saying that prayer, the best definition he could come up with was keeping company with God. It's not just one kind of interaction, me asking. It's not just one kind of interaction, me sitting quietly, never speaking. It's, it's in between there. It's... It's keeping company with God. My prayer life has changed over the years. It used to be I ran out of things to pray because mostly I was coming in and here was my shopping list and I would say, God, here are the things that I'm in need of or I want or whatever. And then it has changed where sometimes there are those very conversational times with God where I feel like I didn't get anything done. You know, it's not just utilitarian. I didn't actually get any work done. And I realized, gee, I forgot to even pray for Brad's back in my prayer time. What kind of a pastor am I? I know. I, but I spent time with Jesus, and it's like, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with him, and we're interacting. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's right, I didn't, and I pray for Brad, but I didn't do it in that time. It's a different kind of interaction. Think of the person you are closest to. Does all of your interaction look exactly the same? No, of course not. Your time's with them. Sometimes they're in discussion. Sometimes they're in, you know, uh, just being together. Sometimes they're doing things and working, these kinds of things. The history of the church is a history of prayer. And we need to be a praying people. Um, So I want to read for you Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to try and cover a, a handful of passages in the book of Acts in brief. Um, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? They didn't really get it yet. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men, in white clo- two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Together, these people were continually, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, Mary and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. (laughs) What was the mood after the resurrection? Um, After all the events of Jesus' suffering, and the resurrection, these guys, in fact, not just these guys, the, the 11 uh, disciple apostles, but this larger group, uh, and we don't know exactly how many are spoken of here, but at the start, one chapter later, it says there were about 120 gathered together when the day of Pentecost came. So there's this larger group um, that is gathered together and they have just gone through all of this, uh, this roller coaster ride. But even leading up to that roller coaster of the week where Jesus is um, back in Jerusalem and he suffers and he's crucified and he raises from the dead. Even prior to that, th- imagine the mindset of these guys and we enter into the story. These people that have been following him faithfully. Um, What was the mood? These people have witnessed Jesus do supernatural miracles everywhere. Even on the way to Jerusalem... He was leaving Jericho and he healed a couple of blind people with a word. And they joined in the throng and followed him praising. Like they're seeing just in that last week, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Okay. And it says that the religious leaders wanted to kill Lazarus as well. Because so many people were now believing in Jesus because of what just happened in this guy's life. These people have seen extraordinary things. This is... This isn't the norm for where I live. I don't see these kind of things on a weekly basis. I want to. I want to see much more of this. But I I don't yet. But I want to. I pray for it. I'm believing that we will see an increase. Much, much more of these miraculous things. People healed. Demons cast out where people are he has authority over demons. Not just that. He has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over a fig tree. He says, Uh, oh, let nobody ever eat fruit from you again. And it shrivels up. He has authority over the material world, a little boy's lunch, five loaves, which are probably like little pitas, and a couple of dried fish, a boy's lunch. And he says, I don't want these people to leave. Or they'll, they might faint on the way. They've been with me for three days, so I'm going to feed them. What have we got? Well, a little boy's lunch. Good enough. Have them sit down in groups of 50 or 100. And they're thinking, you're going to try and feed one of these groups? Like, are we going to raffle off the loaves and the fish? Like, How are we going to do this? You know, these, this, this whole thing. Jesus takes that food and somehow miraculously multiplies it so that they have more leftovers than they had to begin with. Okay, that's he's separating, as the saying goes, the men from the boys here. That's quite a miracle. He has authority over the universe and knows things that no one could know. In Matthew 17, there's a place where he asks Peter about taxes. And uh, he, he asks them, who do they collect taxes from? And he says, you know, strangers or their children. And he says, strangers. And Jesus tells... They, they don't have any money for their taxes. Jesus tells Peter, okay, here's what we're going to do. Go to the sea, throw in a hook, and the first fish that comes out, open its mouth. There's going to be a coin in there that is the amount... For my taxes and yours. It's, it's like. That seems kind of. Almost show offy. If it, if it was me that did it. I would be showing off. But since it's God. It's not. I think. Why would God do that? There could have been a coin. you know, On the ground somewhere. Or something. Or some other way. But it's almost like God. To, to encourage us. That he has avenues to bring to us what we need Amen. that we could never. Who would think of this? Yeah. It's like an ATM. Yeah. You know, go to the sea, pull out a fish, and you know, so I imagine maybe that's what Peter thought he was doing later when he said we're going fishing. Yeah. Maybe he thought, you know, each one of them, you know, like how many times would that happen? Like for Jesus to know, somewhere in there is a fish that swallowed a coin from somewhere. I don't know. I don't know how it got there. But he swallowed that thing. And Peter's going to throw in a hook. And the first fish he's going to get is that one. And it's going to be the amount that they need. I think that is sort of a funny miracle. That God would just choose to do something so that when you're next thinking, I have a need and there's, I see no way that God can meet my need. Remember that story. He's got ways that you would never dream of. Why would he even do it that way? maybe just to encourage us that he's got you know, some bizarre avenues that he'll bring things to us, and it will be good. It will be good. And it's like, God, I give you praise. I never would have imagined you can meet that need. So he does it. Jesus, they, they've lived around this guy who just has no kind of limits on the possibilities All of this stuff, people have flocked to him. Women have flocked to him. And under the current religious system, women were certainly in a lower class. And Jesus comes along and women are comfortable around this rabbi. Around this master, around this guy. Children are comfortable around him. Not just the parents bringing children, but when Jesus is talking to his disciples about who the greatest is, there happens to be a child right there that he brings, and he brings him right close to him and says, unless you're like this, there were kids hanging around. They weren't intimidated by this great master, this rabbi. They're able to do this. But they also see Jesus do something like he did when he comes into Jerusalem and he overturns the tables. And it's like, okay, if Jesus is kind of ticked, we've got reason to be concerned. And, you know, if, if he's not happy with something, I, I want to know why. Like, what, what would make him be that way? So all of these things, they've celebrated him wholeheartedly. They've seen miracles. They believed and now he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And now he's allowed himself to be arrested, to be falsely accused, convicted, stripped, hung up in shame on a tree, which it says one who, has, one who is that, one hanging on a tree, is cursed. He allows himself to be crucified, All of this, he says in John 12, is exactly the purpose he came for. It didn't happen to him. He came for that purpose. Bearing the sins of humanity and bearing the sins of every individual human, every man and woman, individually, not just general, but individually, your sin, each one of us individually. And he pays for them so that at the And just before he dies on the cross, he says it's finished. The work of atonement is finished. The payment is made. This covers the cost of all the transgressions, all the laws of God ever broken. This pays for them, for the sin of every person. My sin was there. 2,000 years later, I realized it, but it was taken care of. Way back then. A payment is made that covers my debt. That covers your debt. He did all of that. And the disciples are there to witness this. They see all of it. So now, after going through all of that. Seeing all of those things. Jesus is back. He, he's back alive. And not just. he He's alive on the on resurrection morning when mary comes and says to uh john and peter i've seen him he's alive i can imagine you know peter the kind of guy he is uh he can't quite fathom it fathom it so he runs to the tomb john i wonder john he's more you know a little more spiritual and you know i wonder if he said you know Metaphorically, you mean he's alive? Like he's alive in our hearts? No. He's really, his body's not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. So they go, they see this. What a roller coaster. Miracles, preaching that saves, that turns people around, restores the adulterer. All of these things. Now he's suffering and he's crucified. How bad. He's laid in the tomb. Now he's back alive. What an adventure. And these guys, emotionally, I mean, when you go through things like that, you, you can get kind of, like, spent, right? When you go through a lot of emotional upheaval, you know, a, a death in the family or, um, you know, and one time a few years ago, we had a, f- a funeral I had to do in the morning and a wedding that afternoon. It was a weird day. Like you know it 's like emotionally like sort of the the lowest and the you know and the, the most celebratory in one day, and these guys have gone through all of this, the tomb is empty, all of this stuff he 's really alive, and the disciples know it and this isn 't just god showing off it 's not just him showing his supernatural power this is so that everybody says, "Wow, God is really great, no, this is Jesus coming back to now work out the the end of his purposes. He came for the purpose of dying and rising again. And now he comes back to his disciples and he wastes no time with just letting them sort of catch up emotionally. He comes back and immediately he starts to talk about to them about everything that was written has been fulfilled. Everything that's written about the future is being fulfilled and you get to be part of it. And I sort of, I, I sort of wonder if these guys might have been like, okay, you know, give us a little bit of time to sort of catch up. Like we've just gone through an awful lot here, Jesus, and you're already talking about all of these bigger plans and purposes for us to go out into the world and go tell everybody about your resurrection. We're just still trying to, you know, get it through our heads that you actually are, are here. And um, so, n- now, they've, they've heard all of this. Jesus is now telling them, in my purposes, I want you to wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so that you can carry out my purpose that you're now partners with me in and I wonder if these guys would have been sort of saying well I don't really know where to begin how are we going to get this done how he's telling us we're going to the ends of the earth to bear witness but how do we do this how do we function I, I, I don't know where to really start so What can we do, guys? How are we going to get this done? The first time at the end of John, if we're in Acts chapter 1, but if you back up into John chapter 21, it says that Peter said to the other guys, I'm going to go fishing. He didn't quite know what to do, so he's going to do what he had always done. He's going to go fishing. And so he goes out and he does that once. And if you back up, look at this, in John chapter twenty. This is what it looked like at first. When when Jesus is first resurrected, in uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, this is the day Jesus raised from the dead, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. I'm picturing this. They were there for fear with the door shut the first day of the week. Jesus has only been in well had only been in the grave for you know over the course of three days. Now he's raised. They've heard this from Mary, uh, and they're hiding out. They're afraid. And I mean, picture this: here's here's uh, here's Jesus, or here's the disciples there, and they're hiding out in this room for fear. What are they doing? They're worrying. And all of a sudden, imagine this: Jesus. Peace, ah, ah, you know, like over this guy's shoulder, he shows up out of nowhere. A door didn't open, you know. They're they're hiding out. They're, you know, when you're kind of anxious and you're uptight about something, and it doesn't take much. You got something on your mind. You're you're in your head about this thing, and all of a sudden somebody, boom, ah, you know, you come unglued. Here they're hiding out, and Jesus comes in the room, and of all the words he could say, peace. It's like there was nothing. Nothing like it. They were all fearful. Jesus comes into the room and says. Peace. They're worrying. They're afraid. That's what they're spending their time doing right now. Is worrying. But. Now. In Acts chapter 1. It says. uh, He presented himself alive. After his suffering. By many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of of 40 days. Over this time, he's shown up. They're, they're now convinced. They're seeing something. Wait a minute. He really is here. He's alive. He's got something for us. We don't need to be afraid. He's conquered the grave like we were just singing. He's on a whole other level, this Jesus. We, all of their expectations were dashed. Just a, a week or a few weeks earlier, wherever this was in that 40-day period, all their expectations were dashed. And now, all of a sudden, they've got new expectations based on the fact that, wait a minute, even death can't defeat this guy. He's come back, and he's, got, he's way beyond anything we thought. So now, when they say, this time, what should we do? What do they do? We can pray. We can pray. We can keep talking to him. He's alive. He isn't dead and in the grave. He's not just a dead rabbi. Who's, you know, even a good one. Or a good high priest. Or one of the fathers like Abraham or Moses. Oh, you know, and they venerate him. Or David or anybody who's dead and buried in the grave. No, he's still alive. He's come back. He's here. So now... We have an avenue through which to keep going. We can pray. We don't need to just worry. We can pray. We can seek him. We ought to pray. That's what Jesus did again and again. They have this example. Jesus went up to the mountain and he prayed all night. He came back and he chose the 12 apostles. Jesus left early in the morning before it was light. Went out to, to a lonely place and he prayed before a busy day of preaching and healing and delivering people. He went and he prayed. Jesus again and again and again. He's teaching in the square and then he, he heals people and he says even things like he he didn't pray then. He already had prayed. He had already spent time so when the need came. Don't worry about that sound. That's just the wind blowing the. V- The louvers up there on that thing. Um, some uh, Some of Jesus' closest followers got to be there when Jesus would pray. So much so that they asked him how they should pray. They wanted to know how he did it. Here's Jesus. He prays before the cross for his disciples. Then he prays on the cross for his persecutors. It's like Jesus prayed... All the time, about everything. He prayed before he multiplied that bread and fish. Father, I thank you. He lifted up and spoke a blessing. And then he prayed afterward. After everybody had eaten, he sent the disciples across the sea. He went up to the mountain to pray. He went back now to give thanks to God and to thank him for this. They see Jesus praying all the time about everything. Everything. So now, the disciples hear this word in Acts chapter 1, in verse 4. Gathering them together, Jesus gathers the disciples together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. What does their waiting... I want you to just wait. What does waiting look like? Oh, they played cards or... They were worried. No, now they're not worried. What do they do? Skip down to verse 14. They were all together in that room, in that upper room where they're staying. And they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. That's what waiting looks like now. That's what waiting looked like for these guys. They're not just waiting around. Well, I wonder when Jesus is going to show up again and do something great. I guess we can't do anything about it. We've got to just wait. Um, No, now we are waiting involves engaging him and saying, God, you promised the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. We don't even know what that's going to look like, but we're asking you for it. Bring it fast. God, you told us we're going to go to the ends of the earth to bring the good news, to reconcile people. Okay, we don't know how to start. We don't know where to begin. We don't know what this is going to look like. We don't know. Maybe we've already received the power and we're not aware. Uh, But God, show us. And they're praying. They're engaging with God, continually devoting themselves to prayer. I... I can't say that I am continually devoting myself to prayer. I want to be. I try to have conversation with God all the time. When I think of it, how many people here would say that you worry at least once a day? Be honest and raise your hands for a second. Yeah. At least once a day, something causes some anxiety. What if maybe we translate that into minute that came up i'm going to pray about it instead of just thinking of all the ways that that is going to destroy me or all the ways i can't you know take care of this or something like that maybe when it comes up next time you say wait a minute god would you enter into this struggle with me i need your solution to this issue to How about that? How about every time that comes? Because worry, and you've probably heard this before, worry is really like faith in reverse. I'm confident in something, but it's the opposite direction of God. Whereas faith is I'm confident in God. So I have a need, and in certain things, I have faith that God's going to take care of that. And then in other things, My confidence is in falling short or my weakness or how now I'm going to be, you know, left destitute and things aren't going to work out and all of that. It's really very similar. It's faith in the wrong things. It's faith in bad circumstances. So now their waiting means calling out to God. Look at verse 15 of uh, Acts chapter 1. Let's go a little bit further and look at this. Uh, In verse 15, it says, At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of, of, oh, it does say about 120 persons um, together, and said... Skip all the way down to verse 21. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men should become witness with us of his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph and Barsabas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men... Show which one of these two you have chosen. Now, instead of just making their own choice, they pray about it. They have this thing. And then you skip ahead. Look at this in, uh, in um, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a certain man has a need... And they minister to his need. They go in. There's a lot of people waiting there already at the hour of prayer. They're there to pray. Oh, in fact, I I missed one. Back up in Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 41 and 42. It says, 3,000 people get saved on one day. And it says they... Solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You got it. They keep doing this. Then in chapter 4 of Acts, the church, uh, Peter and John heal this guy. Uh, that they heal in chapter 3, they get arrested, they get taken to, and uh, the the council is looking at them, thinking what they'll do, and they they reject them. They see that they're uneducated, untrained men, but they recognize this, in verse uh, 13, I love this, they recognize them, as having been with Jesus. Ah, and I don't think, now they might have thought, we knew they were with Jesus when Jesus was alive, walking around. But they know they've been with Jesus more recently than that. They've been with him. They've been getting around him. That's why they're so much like him now. They've been around him. They've been close to him. In fact, in in the, the book of Mark, it says when Jesus to- chose the 12, the 12 apostles, the first thing it says he chose them for was to be With him. Not just to do the mission. But to be with him. You get around somebody. And you start to take on. Maybe their characteristics. You start to hear what they think. And you. They affect you. You know they say that thing that. Married people begin to look alike. It hasn't happened with Rose and I. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) To which I want to say. Thank you God. (laughs) Um. They say even people and their pets start to look alike. You know, that kind of thing. Here's these guys, they look like Jesus because they've been around him. They've been spending time with him, continually devoting themselves to being with him. That's happening. So then they leave there after being told, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Stop it. And what do they do? Uh, verse uh, 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, it is you. They started to pray. They come out. They're happy about it. They start to pray. And they continue. And it records this prayer. And then it says, now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Spirit and they did begin to speak the word with boldness. They prayed. They began to pray about everything. When it's good, they prayed. When it was bad, they prayed. Again and again and again. Now, there are too many of these for me to cover all of them. But there's when I think of one like this, in chapter 12, it talks about Peter, he gets put in prison again. And while he's in prison at night... An angel sets him free. It's again another funny story because it says he's shackled between two guards and Peter's sleeping. He's not worrying anymore. He's, he's in jail being persecuted and he's he's asleep. So are the guards. He's not worrying. His care, he's like a babe in arms. He's trusting God. And then in the middle of the night, an angel comes and tells him, get up and gird yourself. Like even he was in some state of undress. I don't know whether that just meant put on your outer robe or whatever, but he's sleeping. He's, you know, he's kind of taking it easy. The angel wakes him up. How he got free is supernatural. The angel leads him out and he he kind of comes to when he goes outside this city gate. And where does he go? He goes to a prayer meeting. There's a prayer meeting going on for him. He knocks on the door. A servant girl comes and hears Peter's voice. She doesn't even open the door. She's so shocked. And she goes back and tells the people in the prayer meeting, it's Peter. Here, This is funny to me. They're <laughs> praying for Peter, probably for his freedom. Then he gets free. And they say, ah, oh, you've lost your mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's Peter. He's at the door. No way. Why are we praying? I thought that's what we were praying for. It's like, you're nuts. And Peter's still at the door knocking. They finally opened the door. I heard one guy say, it was easier for Peter to get out of prison than it was to get into the prayer meeting. You know, It's just funny. Like the, that the Holy Spirit, that God can do that, but the people were praying. They're starting to pray now about everything all the time. When Paul gets converted, he you know gets knocked down sees a bright light the lord speaks to him he goes into Damascus and he's praying now in this place and another guy Ananias a, a disciple is it says he's praying and the lord speaks to him go and pray for this guy to receive the holy spirit and be healed and he says I've heard about this guy he's i don't want to go anywhere near him he's dangerous he's terrible, and it's understandable that he would think that Paul was, but I think it's sort of funny again Ananias is praying, and he while he's praying, the spirit tells him, Go pray for a man who's praying he's i'm praying that guy's praying, and the Lord says, Go pray for him, and he does this, and of course. Paul, you know, scales fall from his eyes. He can see, he gets filled with the Spirit, he gets saved. And, you know, thank God for that. A big chunk of the New Testament is there because of that guy getting saved. And because this one disciple was praying and was willing to step up and respond to God when he's praying. So all of this I bring to this. All through the book of Acts, almost every single chapter mentions the people of God praying for good things, in the midst of bad things, for challenges, all of this stuff. And that's us. The book of Acts continues. We're, we're the book of Acts. We're, you know, the story's still being written, amen? That's us. And we're to be a people continually coming back to him. Not just worrying. If you if you struggle with worry, I want to encourage you today to prove God in this. Turn your worry into prayer. Turn it and say, God, I worry a lot about this and I don't want to be a worrier. I don't want to believe in everything bad that can happen. I, want, I believe in you more. Amen. And that's not to... To, you know, look lightly at challenges people have i people do have big challenges, and there are things that stir fear in us and when you feel it, I want my reflex I want your reflex to be i 'm going to God with that i 'm going to God with that i right. 'm fearful God how about it i 'm bringing this to you god i uh, I want to respond to him every time regardless of what it is i don't want to forget him when things are good i want to respond in prayer and thank him i don't want to forget him when things are really frightening i want to respond in prayer by going to him that's the legacy that jesus left that's the legacy that the early church left and that's the legacy we pick up and continue that story amen a praying people. The church, we need to be a praying people. Right. And you might say, and today isn't the day we're going to cover that, you might say, I don't even exactly know how to do it. Well, it's kind of, if I can say, it's, it's kind of like you know the whole thing of riding a bike. It can be explained, sort of. You know, a physicist could say to a kid, could explain it in physics terms, here's what takes place when you're riding, and it's like, yeah, thanks, Uh, you know, but basically at some point you need to get on the thing, you need to shove off from the curb and start to pedal, right, and you're probably going to (laughs) crash, you're probably going to do it at least a few times, right, but how else can you do it? Shove off. Shove off from the curb. In prayer, you say, well, I don't really know where to begin. Begin by coming to him and saying, God, I don't exactly know how to begin praying. Begin. Thanksgiving is a good place. God, I want to thank you that you brought me here. It's a great place to start. And then come and say, hey, to bring your needs to him. To say, God, I want to tell you what matters to me, what I value, what I'm concerned about. Uh, what's happening in my life i want to convert start somewhere start shove off from the curb and start pedaling just begin begin there and god will begin to add to your life those other dimensions and there's lots of resources if you're unsure about it come and see me i've got tons of books on prayer i'd be happy to give a uh you know a, a book out about that be happy to talk to anybody about that, and there are others in here that anybody who's been saved for more than a day probably can say, "Well, I can tell you something about it." So let's pray right now, yeah. and then, in fact, let's do this: let's stand, let's respond to God in this way. Pray about, e- pray all the time about everything, uh, about everything. Nothing is... Thank you, God. God, we come as your people right now. In fact, open your hands up to heaven like we're just surrendering ourselves or we're receiving from heaven. God, we open up our lives to you and we thank you in this place today. Jesus, the disciples asked you to teach them how to pray and you gave the pattern prayer of the Lord's prayer to them. You prayed on the night you were betrayed, the high priestly prayer of John 17. You prayed before the cross, on the cross. After the cross, you spoke prayer over your people and encouraged them in it. Lord, the legacy that you've left, the legacy the early church has left for us, we want to take up the mantle of prayer. I want to ask you, God, for grace on the people in this room today. To be a praying people that we would pray for revival. We would pray for our needs. We'd pray for the needs of others. We'd converse with you. We'd wait in your presence silently to hear you speak. That you'd fill us with the spirit. God, we ask for the, the, uh, an upgrade in our prayer lives in Jesus' name. An upgrade, God. Individually and corporately, Lord. I'm asking you to start something new, even on this, the fifth day of May 2019. Start something fresh in us in regard to prayer, God. We thank you even for hearing this prayer and for beginning to answer it now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, church. Um, There are refreshments at the back again. Uh, Remember this week, Life Groups, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, for any who need. There are some people that will be happy to pray with you today. If you have a need, come and pray with somebody. That's another helpful thing. God bless you.